0: someone in the room and just ask that, that God would pour out his blessings on them. And as we're in this, this time of silence, I invite you to ask God to silent your heart and silent your mind. I invite you to Ask him to speak to you this morning. I think mean, there's power in, in, in praying, Lord, speak to me, transform me, open my eyes up to what you would have for me. Father, we are so thankful for all the blessings that you have given us. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. I pray that that our time here would not be uh, just another hour or two during our week, but that we would be transformed uh, by experiencing your love and your presence. And so we pray that 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 would happen this morning, that your spirit would show up and speak to us and draw near to us. It's in the name of your son that we pray all things. Amen. All right, well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians and we'll be in chapter 5. If you're in one of the black hardbacks underneath the seat around you, it should be page 988. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. A couple months ago, I found myself in the study of uh, our apartment with this weird little clip on my ear. I'm looking at an iPhone, and an app that was recording my heartbeat, and and I wondered how I got there. And I remember waking up in an ambulance and remembering trying to think through how I got there. Apparently, uh, when I wake up in an ambulance, this happened twice, I am like the ultimate MMA fighter, okay? I land punches on the chin, which is amazing for so many reasons. One is I'm not that kind of person. Like, I feel like... If I tried to do that, in real life, I wouldn't be able to. But apparently, these big paramedics, they don't want to come pick me up. Uh, It's trouble. Uh, I wake up in the ambulance. I'm I'm wondering how I got to the ambulance. And I remember back two weeks earlier, and we were in a board meeting here at the church. And and there was a a person who had come to the church and asked if they could rent our upstairs uh, for a school during the week. And, And what they did is they ran a school for children with special needs. And it was a smaller school, so, so they thought the space up there would be perfect for it. And, and, and when I found out about it, I was like kind of excited because I uh, used to work with kids with special needs. And I've always kind of secretly hoped that our church would somehow find a way to, to integrate that into the life of our congregation. And, and I was, in my mind, you know, imagining how awesome it would be to come to work every day and say hi to my little autistic buddy, right? And, and have all this joy here in the, uh, in the building uh, throughout the week. And then I, uh, as we started talking uh, through whether it would be a good, good opportunity for them and for us, you know, as a church, we've got to think through, is it wise for our facilities? Is it wise for um, the, the wear and tear on the building? Is it wise for our other tenants and, and our congregation members? And we came up with the conclusion that, that we were going to have to tell them no, that they couldn't, they couldn't use our facilities. And, and we were aware, I was aware that, uh, it was right before school started, and if, if we said no to them, they had no school anymore. Uh, they were going to meet in the house with as many people as could fit in until they tried to figure things out. And so, because I'm the pastor, and I have that cool little name badge, right, I get to, to deliver news like that. And so, I was the one who said, sorry, you can't rent here. We're not going to be able to offer that to you. And And that hit me very hard. It weighed on me. Because I felt the responsibility for this school not meeting anymore. And I knew it wasn't true and I knew it was the right decision, but I, I felt like I had single-handedly closed down this school for children with special needs. And the self-talk that was running through my mind is like, Great job, Mike, what are you gonna do next week? Burn down an orphanage? Right? And what's 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 next on your list? And I can remember crying a lot that week. And I woke up in the ambulance. And I wondered how I got there. And then I remember the week after having to turn down those tenants, getting a phone call from a uh, school that I used to teach at and learning that one of my students had died. A 16-year-old that, that was uh, very much loved uh, by everybody and had had unexpectedly, for no apparent reason, passed away. And, and so the school asked me if I would come up and, and do some grief counseling, if I would come up and just be available for the students. And in and, and that week I can remember how hard it was every day. You know, it's, it's one thing to grieve yourself. It's another thing to see a 17, 18-year-old boy, collapsing your arms, crying? Right? It's hard. And now it's like three straight days. I was like, good grief. Guys, stop crying. Or falling into my arms. This is just weird. (laughs) Just sit there. Give your mom a hug. Um, And that Friday, I I preached at the funeral. and, and, And I remember driving away that Friday and feeling like I'd kind of put off my own grieving process and like it was about to hit me i was about to have to to deal with my own grief over losing this child and i woke up in this ambulance and i punched this guy and I, I was asking myself how did i get here and and i was told that i had a seizure uh and and i had a seizure and i was driving and i i was driving and i crashed my car and it was pretty much a a wash and and the paramedics had shown up, and we were on our way to the ambulance. And, and this isn't the first seizure I've had. This is the second one. And, and so it was, I knew it was going to be in a little bit of an ordeal. I remember being at the ER, and, and they put me on some seizure medicine uh, that is very bad for people with a history of depression and anxiety. Uh, and I have a history of depression and anxiety. And there are other medicines that are seizure medicines that are good for people, but, but not this one. The, all the literature says don't, but this one. Um, with those people, but they did, and so I get put on that, that medicine. Not only do I have a history with anxiety and depression, the last two weeks, I feel like I've just lived anxiety and depression. and so I get more depressed and more anxious and kind of close down in on myself. And for about two, three weeks, maybe I, I just kind of lived in this darkness. Uh, and, and the people who work up here at the church can remember this wasn't uh, long ago. Uh, can remember filling in last minute for me on a Sunday. I can remember trying to, to, to keep up all that was happening uh, without me being able to help or or being able to, to offer any assistance. You know, my days were spent sleeping or crying or being too tired to do one of the two. And so I was sitting in my study about two months ago looking at his iPhone and this little clip on my ear wondering how I got here. A little clip. Once I started to slowly walk out of the depression and anxiety right after that, that seizure and and started getting with a therapist and, and getting with my psychiatrist. You know, I've done this before. I've been through periods of time before I kind of crashed and had to kind of work myself out. I had to, had to seek help. Um, one of the things that my therapist suggested was uh, something called biofeedback, which is where you actually um, measure your um, biology, something that's happening in your body, in order to get feedback on whether you're or relaxing, or whether you're stressing out. And so um, I got this little clip. It's called HeartMath, and it, it measures your heart rate. And if you don't know, it's, the science is really interesting. You know, your heart sends out as much, if not more, electrical uh, messages than your brain does. Your heart is a big communicator to your body. And so when it beats certain ways, it tells the rest of your body um, to turn off the immune system. Right? We are, we are in a stress mode. We're being attacked. And then when your heart beats other ways... It says, whew, we're good. Hey, restore yourselves. Replenish yourselves. Every, everything relax and rebuild, uh, and we are in a safe environment. Um, and so this measures your heartbeat, and it has red and blue and green. Green is really good. And, and when it's in green, you are feeling relaxed and you're feeling good. When it's in red, you're, you're thinking about negative things. You're not feeling good. Um, I'm in green right now, uh, which is a little surprising to me because uh, I'm preaching. Um, Actually, it was in green first service, too. I was proud of myself. I'm getting better at this. Uh, and I learned that the quickest way to get yourself to green, so, so you want to be in green three times a day because it refreshes your whole body, your mind and your body. And Lindsay has practices with me, and, and so she can tell you this. Um, I'm kind of like an evangelist now for it. Uh, if if it's, it's been a stressful couple hours if, if something negative has happened. Um, if, if I take my, my heart math and if I can get myself in the green, in this calm, clear, relaxed state, it like resets my day. I'm able to move forward from like a clean slate. Or if if I have something to do and and it's hard for me to think of the motivation and and just get the energy to do it, I can spend five minutes helping the heart math help me get in that place. And then I'm calm and relaxed and my mind is ready to do what's in front of me. And I, I learned that the way you get your, so people practice, the, the reason this is, is kind of cool is because it shows you, right? I don't have to guess, am I relaxed or am I not relaxed? And, and I get to know what type of things relax me or what type of things stress me out. Um, and I was told very early on that the, the two easiest ways to, to get yourself in the green uh, are to think about uh, a time you experienced or, or gave unconditional love or to think about something that you're grateful for. And I found that the grateful part of this is, is the easiest for me. When I, when I sit and think about something that I'm grateful for, my heart relaxes and it starts telling the rest of my body, restore yourself. We're in a good place. Cleanse yourself. And I can feel it, not only my mind washing away, but my whole body, right? I mean, it just feels better. And so my, my therapist in science taught me that it was important to be grateful and to build in these practices of gratefulness. And, and what I've found as I've slowly been doing that is that it matches up actually step by step with what we find in Scripture. Um, God in the Scriptures in the Bible commands His people over and over again to be grateful. And I think sometimes we look over that, we skip over that, or we forget it. We stop practicing it. But this morning, I want to argue and, and show you uh, how important it is and, and just how much emphasis the Bible places on it. And then we're going to spend the next three weeks um, fleshing it out. Uh, so we're, we're starting a sermon series today called Toxic and Gratitude, and, and we'll spend the next three weeks looking at, at other aspects of gratitude. But I want to start um, by looking just at the importance that the Scriptures place on it. So if you'll read with me in First Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 16, Paul is talking to a church in Thessalonica in the first century, and then Paul says to them in this letter, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then in verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a pretty clear statement, right? What does God want from you? What's God's will for your life? Be grateful. Give thanks, he says, in all circumstances. You know, it's easy to be thankful for things that are really good. It's harder to be thankful for things that you perceive as negative or, or hurtful. There's an old saying that goes um, one thanks for a negative situation is worth more than a thousand thanks for a positive situation. I mean, that is so much more powerful. I can remember thinking at Gray's funeral, not thinking saying it out loud, even though I wasn't living it, um, that, that even in the midst of grieving over the loss of a sixteen year old, there are ways to, to be grateful. There are gifts still to be had. And I remember just thinking out loud that, you know, not not everybody got to spend those sixteen years with, with Gray, the student who passed away. Some kids live shorter lives. It's a gift. It's it's not to say that that wasn't a tragedy, and that's not bad, and that we shouldn't grieve over that. But just say there there are also some things at the same time that we can recognize and be thankful for. I was thinking through, not every teacher got to teach him. I know hundreds who will never know what it was like to have Gary in their classroom, to have him rub off on them. But I got to, and what a gift! What a gift that's so easy to overlook. Scripture says, in all things, in all circumstances, the good and the bad, give thanks. And that can be really hard. And in the next few weeks, we'll go over some of the practices, some of the disciplines that we can develop that will help us, I think, be grateful in every area of our life. And we see this command, give thanks in all circumstances. It's the will of God. And for those who have been reading the Bible, right, if you're reading from start to finish, by the time you get to this command, you are not surprised that this is the will of God for your life. Because you know and have read and have seen that this is actually one of the biggest themes throughout the scriptures. That you and I, God's people, should be grateful. Should, should, should give thanks to God constantly and at all times for everything. Let me show you one of these places in, in Psalm chapter 106. If you have a Bible flip with me. Psalm chapter 106 is, is, is characteristic of a lot of what you see throughout the scriptures We'll just look at the very first verse here. The Psalms are a book of, of hymns, songs that would have been sung when the Israelites gathered for worship. And Psalm 106, verse 1, says this, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If you've been around the church, um, if you've listened to some sermons, you, you may have heard that phrase before. "Give Thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Thanks to the Lord. Is again, and Christian contemporary music, if you grew up in that phase, that was a song um, that was really popular. Um, and what's interesting about this, um, so, so first of all, you see this phrase, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever, everywhere in the Bible. It's repeated over and over and over and over again. It seems to be like the stereotypical um, command of people who belong to God. It seems like the response to God from his people. Give thanks to him because he's good and his love never ends. It never runs out. And so when you're reading um, narratives in the Old Testament, people offer up this prayer. And then when you're reading other books like the Psalms where they give you exhortations, we're told to do this. We're told, praise the Lord. If I were to tell you to praise the Lord, um, I think what most of us would do is to try to come up with some sort of emotion in our hearts. Praise the Lord. And, and we'd think, like, how could I silently maybe praise the Lord with some thoughts in my mind? But historically, um, I, I find this fascinating. Um, when the ancient Israelites had a command like this, it was a command. It's a verb. Praise the Lord. Um, think of a concert, a rock concert, where, where, where the lead singer comes out and goes, everyone having a good time tonight? And everyone just roars, right, with excitement because they're super happy. They're thankful to be there. Um, this would have been the congregation of Israel right? Praise the Lord, and they, they would have shouted, they would have roared, the trumpets would blast, and, and they would have said something that they were thankful for. It's actually a command, right? Praise the Lord. It's a verb. You do it. So, so let's try it out here, okay? And please don't, please don't make me feel like I'm all alone up here. I want you to think of one thing you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be big. It, it, can, be, it can be actually utterly mundane. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I drove here today safely. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for—I mean, anything. Uh, and then when I say praise the Lord, I want us all to just say it out loud. It can be a word or it can be a phrase. So, so think about it. Um, again, it, it, it doesn't have to be big or or, or anything like impressive. Um, you don't get bonus points if it's really spiritual and includes Bible verses. So so we've all got it. We've all got it. Okay, and then then the choir master here is the the worship leader. I'm going to direct the congregation, and we're all going to respond together at one time. Praise the Lord, because my faith family is here. Half of you did not participate. (laughs) (laughs) First service was coach. We we worked on this a little bit better. Um, Hopefully, you didn't participate, not because you couldn't think of something you were grateful for, but if so, this is the series for you, okay? Uh, stick around. I think this is perfect. Um, praise the Lord. There's, there's an aspect where um, it's so important to actually verbalize what we're giving thanks for, to not keep it internal. There's some power when we, we express it. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis noticed this, and it was a brilliant observation, I think. When you and I get good news, when, when we have something that we want to give thanks for— um, Naturally, our joys increase. The, the most joy we can get from something like that is when we share it with other people, it's when we verbalize it. Not when we get the good news and feel giddy inside, woohoo! It's when I get to go, hey, guess what? Woohoo! And if you don't believe me, try getting good news and then being told, don't tell anybody yet. And you're like, oh, that's so frustrating. You're capping my level of joy here. I want to be able to share this. Thanksgiving culminates. It finds its most joy when you're able to verbalize it. Share it with the congregation, with your family, with your friends. Praise the Lord. This love endures forever. We find it throughout the scriptures. Jesus himself lived a a thankful life. If, If we look at the life of Jesus, he models for us what it's like to live at all times, in all circumstances, thankful I mean, we see it throughout the Gospels. If you read them, it's easy to miss. But in situation after situation after situation, we're told after giving thanks, Jesus did this. Being thankful, Jesus did this. When Jesus prays, he starts with thanksgiving to the Lord. Thank you, Father, for hearing me. And he continues his prayer. Before Jesus fed the 5,000, he took the, the small amount that he had and he gave thanks for it. Before Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, he prayed to God and said, thank you for hearing me. And then we'll flesh this out throughout the series, but, but I think there is something um, spiritually deep here that the perhaps gratefulness comes before the miracle. That perhaps, perhaps being thankful is usually the foundation for God to, to heal you in a powerful way. And, and Jesus, not only though in, in good times or when he's about to perform a miracle, Also, in bad times, he sits in the upper room with his disciples, and he takes the bread, and he gives thanks for it. And he takes the cup of wine, and he gives thanks for it. As these two things represent the brutal suffering and death that he's about to endure. Even for that, Jesus is able to say, Thank you, Lord. He models for us what a life of gratitude is like. Um, and then the early church, I mean, ran with this theme. We, we saw it in First Thessalonians 5, 8. I've got a printout, a place in the New Testament where it tells us to be grateful. Um, this is just a few of them. Um, Paul, again in Colossians three seventeen 17, says, Whatever you do in word or deed, whether you're thinking it or acting it out, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. Do everything, giving thanks to God through Jesus. Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Devote yourself to the work of praying to God and let that prayer include a watchfulness for how you can be thankful, for how you can be grateful. In Revelation, we're told that one day um, all of God's people will um, enjoy eternity singing, joining in with all that, that sing praises to God, saying in, in Revelation 11.17, we give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and began to reign. Now, I, I have a theory that everybody wants to be thankful. If you think about it, right, everybody wants to be a, a grateful person. Because do the, do the logic here. Walk backwards. If you're grateful, that means you have something to be grateful about. You've been given a gift. And that's a, that's a good thing. And no one wants to be a complainer. No one wants to be ungrateful. No one wants to have no thanksgiving in their life because, again, walk, walk backwards with me. If you're not able to express gratitude, if you're not feeling grateful, that means perhaps your life is devoid of gifts or perhaps there's just hurt and there's just pain. And, and you and I live in a sea of ingratitude. None of us want to be the person who complains about everything but, but all of us are uh, dangerously tempted at times to become that person. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Who, who, who can't possibly see one good thing about this scenario? Or who you try to cut off your time with because you're like, look, I was having a great day, and then just, man, your whole world sucks, and I don't want to be part of that. All you do is, is list out all the things in your life that aren't good. And it's so easy for all of us to fall into that trap and and, and just be overwhelmed with the stress of our life and fall into, here's what happens. We're either, at best, we take our gifts for granted, and then at worst, we complain about the things that we wish we had. You know, there's a a lot to be said about um, all the technology that we have today and all the cool things that we can experience. Some have said, this is the most awesome time ever to be alive, and yet no one's happy. We find things to complain about that are amazing. So like recently I was in the airport, and and there was a 40-minute delay, and it made me so angry. And then I got on a seat, and it was a little uncomfortable, and I was like, great, Uh, uncomfortable seat. I had to wait for 40 minutes. And then I flew through the air, Like, I was just sitting in a seat, and I flew, and I was, I was mad about waiting for 40 minutes when when 100 years ago, that would have taken a lifetime to travel. And, and I miss out on an ability to be thankful, to see wonder in my situation, because I'm focusing on what perceives to be a, a, a hassle in my life, an obstacle in my life. And we're in the plane, and and we're told, and this is the first time I experienced this, that um, there'll be Wi-Fi throughout the plane. I've been told that a lot. I've rarely seen it. Um, and, and so there was. We were flying uh, at our highest altitude, and we had Wi-Fi. And it was pretty amazing. It was, it was pretty awesome. Again, I remember, I'm not old. As a kid, I can remember no internet. I mean, that's my lifetime. And and so now I'm flying on the internet, and, and it goes down after about 30, 45 minutes, and the guy next to me goes, uh, great. And I'm like, wow, how, how much can you complain about something you didn't know existed until 30 minutes ago? Like, you found out that it existed, and now you're entitled to it, right? <laughs> how dare they not be able to get Wi-Fi now? I've wanted this for at least 30 minutes of my life. I had not planned on this before the flight, um, but this is just a convenience they provided. And and that's the the kind of mindset we can have, right? we become so entitled. We think we deserve so many different things. We place expectations on different people and and situations. And then that rationalizes our complaining. And we miss the opportunity to be blessed with gratitude. I don't think the problem is usually in our lives a lack of time. I think one of the the ways we we miss out on, on gratefulness is we're always in a hurry. But the problem, I, I don't think, is never that we, we lack time. I think it's just that we lack gratefulness. We lack the ability to, to appreciate all the gifts in the now. Instead of just thinking, the now is one huge obstacle. is one huge hassle to get to the future. And guess what? That's probably going to not be very good, too. And that's the mindset. I mean, that's a kind of world we live in. It's so easy to devolve into that type of thinking. Instead of thinking in, in this moment right now, what are all of the things that I can be thankful for? What are all of the things that I can be grateful for? Gratitude, it creates so much joy in our hearts. it It's this like devastating blow to the stress that, that builds up in our lives and, and makes us mindless and and, and, and makes us Unable to appreciate to live in the moment to, to live alive fully awake that's what I think gratitude is its it's waking up to the world around us it's It's rediscovering our sense of wonder right not, not taking for granted things there's the technology where this microphone wirelessly can transmit through the system and then it gets recorded and, and sent online I mean if you really just think about that, how like Complex and wonderful as that. I don't understand any of it. We can do that with everything in our lives. Look at it with eyes open like a small child, going, Wow, I don't get this. A sunset, a tree, a smile, a relationship. We recognize it as a gift. We rediscover a sense of wonder over it and, and our joy is increased. It's what it means to say that God is creator. To say that God is creator means that everything we have is a gift. We're not entitled to it. You're not entitled to life. You're not entitled to the world. You're not entitled to the people that you have in your life. All of that is one gift to you. And if you can... Accept all those things as a gift. If you have the eyes to see, every little one of those things is a gift. Think about how joyful and peaceful your life would be. If you walked outside and you said, oh my gosh, look at the sun shining. And and, and look, at, look at the grass growing and, and look at the seasons changing and, and, and look at the rhythm that we're about to get into with winter and with Christmas coming. And instead we could walk outside and we could say, Great, it's not cold enough or hot enough because we're in Houston, so right now we're in the middle area, right? Um, and we can say, okay, the seasons are changing. Christmas is coming up. Thanksgiving, great. I have to be with my family. That's going to be awkward, um, right? We can, we can come outside, and, and the sun can blind us in the eyes, and then we can be reminded that there's an election coming up, and we don't want to see that either. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? We can choose to complain about instead of noticing the, the positives, the gifts. Hey, the election's going to be over soon, <laughs> Praise the Lord! <laughs> what a gift! <laughs> That's what it means to, to say that God's Savior—that He has rescued us, that He's working in our lives to redeem us and, and build us up to live more and more human, to, to be more fully human, to live more deep, uh, to live deeper lives, more, more rich lives. It's to, to, to experience all the growth that we have. It's to experience all the relationships we have as gifts. As gifts that we don't take for granted and that we don't complain about. You know, if, if if I were to tell you there are wolves in the woods, you should expect to see wolves if you walk into the woods, right? This is like really advanced logic, okay? As Christians, we believe God is at work bringing good things to His creation, bringing salvation and healing. So, when we open our eyes up in the morning and when we walk outside and when we go to that building, should we not expect to see all the different areas and situations and places? where God is working to bring good things, to bring salvation and healing in both our lives and in the lives of everybody around us. Or, you know, the choice there, we could just focus to complain. We could we just whine. But here's what happens. If you whine, it's like drinking poison. It's toxic. Ingratitude, ungratefulness is going to wither your soul away until you're no longer able to really make sense of God is creator and God is savior. And so you have no like deep spiritual life of your own where you can find this contentness and, and find this ability to pray and then be in communion with the Lord. We have to develop this idea. We have to recognize that this is, is such a huge theme throughout the scriptures. You know, when I was a kid, I was told that eternity, heaven, would be singing hallelujah forever. I thought, Oh no! <laughs> no, thank you. I kid you not like people think i'm I'm lying about this, Which, <laughs> I found out a few years ago that people often assume preachers are lying about most of their stories, and I was like, no, they're mostly true, right? I mean, anytime you tell a story in public, maybe sometimes the details kind of... Um, Help you get your point across, right? But I was like, have you been sitting there thinking I'm lying the whole time? Like, what 60% of no, This, this uh, these things happen. I remember as a kid thinking about the awfulness that heaven would be and actually doing the math in my mind and being like, okay, so a thousand years of that. And then once that's over, oh my gosh, okay, another thousand years of that. And once that's over, and it never ends. And I can kid you not, this is how you know I've always had anxiety problems. I can remember feeling anxious and having my stomach in a knot over this as an eight-year-old in my bed. This is awful. At some point, can we just say it's over? <laughs> like can, like at 50,000 years, can we just tap out and be like, it's been good. I'm out of here. It's because I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I hadn't backed up. What would it mean for someone to say hallelujah, which means praise the Lord? It would mean that they have something to praise Him about. It would mean that they have a gift that's been given to them. It would mean that they're overwhelmed with that gift, their eyes are opened up to it, and they're experiencing joy because of it. And so to sing hallelujah for eternity, man, I can't even imagine the joy. I can't even imagine the experience that would be. Now what would it what would it mean to be people who who, who say hallelujah right now in our day to day life? What would it mean to be able to say hallelujah every day? What would it mean to be able to say hallelujah every moment? What would it mean if if we could look at our life around us and and find things to be grateful for? Um, We we don't really have to find things so much as we have to just open our eyes up, right? They're there, and they're always there. It's just we we close our minds or our eyes to them. Being grateful is not thinking really hard and finding stuff. It's just discovering what was already there, but you looked past and regaining your sense of wonder over it. Oh my gosh, how beautiful is this? How great is this? Um, one of my favorite authors, A.J. Jacobs, is an uh, immersion journalist. And so what that means is, is he picks a topic and he kind of, like, lives it for a while. He, like, throws his whole life into it. And then he writes about the experience. Um, he did Drop Dead Healthy, where he took everyone's health advice for a year uh, and uh, wrote about that and, and right, creates all these interesting observations. And this is a job to him, right? So when he says, I'm going to live healthy for a year... I mean, he's doing that 24-7. I mean, he's taking it to the extreme to be able to tell us, what would it be like if we really took all this advice? And he he wrote a book called My Year of Living Biblically. One man's humble quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible. Now, he's a a Jewish man, um, ethnically. He's an atheist, though. And and he writes this book um, for a couple of reasons. One being, you know, he's very... He's very convinced that, that religious people pick and choose what they want to do in their religion. Um, and, and so he's like, why don't, why don't I see what it would be like to do all of it? And so, again, it's very academic. He goes through and lists out every single imperative that he can find in the Bible. I and mean, this is probably more studying than most of us have ever done in the Bible. And then he, for a year, systematically tries to do all of those things as much as possible. So by the end of the year, he's got this super beard going on can't cut the edge of your beard. He can only wear one type of garment because there's no mixed fabrics. He can't touch anything that has been touched um, by someone on uh, a girl in their menstruation cycle. And so without being purified, which means just about anything because you never know. We don't have those regulations anymore, right? And so he carries a stool everywhere he goes because he can't be safe. This one apparently was really upsetting for his wife. And so she would, out of spite, go sit on everything and touch everything in the house. <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, enjoy yourself. And he, I think he tells a story of it, he puts his like whole little body on top of the stool because he can't even touch the ground. I'm trying to live biblically here. And at the end of the book, he he, he talks about some of his observations, and he concludes, you know, he, he was right. People choose, pick and choose, cafeteria style, kind of what they want. Now, as a pastor, I would say there might be good reasons why we follow some of the commands and not others. Um, but he, he says, I'm not, a, I'm not a theist. I don't believe in God, but I, I would say I'm, I'm a reverent agnostic, which is to say I do think there's something that transcends myself. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure I can name it yet but I've experienced it, and I'm open to the possibilities. And, and he says there's one thing, actually, and, and this is great, that, that he's going to take away from the project. So he says this at the very end of the book. Um, I've started to look at life differently. When you're thanking God for every little thing, every meal, every time you wake up, every time you take a sip of water, you can't help but be more thankful for life itself for the unlikely and miraculous fact that you even exist. In fact, he says, I've developed an obsession with gratefulness. I can't stop. Just now I pressed an elevator button and I'm thankful that it arrived quickly. I got onto the elevator and was thankful that the cable didn't snap and plummet me to the basement. I went to the fifth floor and I was thankful that I didn't have to stop on the second or third and fourth floor. I got out and I'm thankful that Julie left my office unlocked so I don't have to rummage for my keys and I can walk in. I walk in and I'm thankful that my family's at home and are healthy. And on, and on, and on, and on. I'm actually muttering to myself, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He says, it's an odd way to live, but also kind of great and powerful. I've never been so aware of the thousands of little good things, the thousands of things that go right every day. He reads through the scriptures and he realizes such a huge thing we're commanded to do is to give thanks, to, to, to look for and notice and hold on to all of the small gifts we are given at every second of every day. Yes, we should be thankful for, for what God has done for us in, in Jesus, right? What has, what has God done for you? You might ask someone, I might say, Jesus died for me. And and that's good and proper, and we'll we'll talk about the place of that in in the weeks upcoming. Um, But I might respond back, that was like 2,000 years ago. Has he done anything recently for you? What's he doing now? What did he do last week? What was he doing around you? What are all the little things that he continues to bless you that you don't just take for granted or don't find the, the one or two glitches to just complain about? And it's amazing that if you take the time out, Try to be grateful in and, and whatever kind of disciplines you have to practice, right? Whatever kind of reminders you have to put in your life. It's amazing how much your body itself starts to feel at home in God's creation. It's amazing how much closer to God you start to feel. It's amazing how much more able you are to serve other people to love other people. you're grateful, you're joyful. Gratitude is is necessary for our our spiritual lives, for our spiritual well-beings, for our life in Christ. And it's it's not one other thing to add to the list. I'll end with that. Gratitude is not another to-do thing that we add to an already long list that we're never going to get around to. Gratitude instead is the foundation of everything. It's a perspective on life. It's a perspective about art to-do lists that we'll never get around to. It's being thankful, finding the gifts, verbalizing them, growing closer to God, being a healthier human, a healthier Christian. And and then, you know, when when you're in that state of mind, you're going to be able to bless other people. When, when you are complaining or focused on what's bad in your life, it's going to be very hard for you to, to love on somebody else, to focus on somebody else. But when you are utterly aware of the grace you've been given, all the gifts around you, and suddenly people don't seem like an interruption anymore. And suddenly even the hard things in your life become things you can be thankful for, opportunities that, that you might not have otherwise. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, for you in Christ Jesus. We pray with thee. Father, I thank you for.